Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. Before we jump into this week's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Any rates, reviews, and subscriptions will help us get more followers. If you have any Batman friends in your life, please recommend this season and tell them to check out our seasons on John Cassavetes and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And if you haven't, please do so now. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Our art is by Sean Mannion who directed Meme the Movie, now available on Amazon Prime, memethemovie.com, Uncle Sean on Twitter. Enjoy this episode. Goodbye. Jesus Christ, I'm Liam Billingham. <laughs> I'm George Fragopoulos. And this is... Uberbusters. I have to stop on your line, I don't care. I don't care, this is so stupid. Don't give a fuck. Yo, yo, levels, levels. Did that. Well, um, but they don't know that because it's been two weeks. That's do you want to do you want to go through the Elton song? Watching this film, I totally forgot how not like like that's original music for this film. What film? Uh, so today we're discussing Batman, nineteen eighty nine, directed by Tim Burton. Tim, Tim Burton, scored by Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, starring Star- Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Robert Wool, and Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger, Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle, yeah. Yeah, Pat Hingle. And uh, Jerry Hall. Not Jerry, really starring. Jerry, I didn't know that was Jerry Hall. It was Hall. Jerry Hall, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And, ja- and Jack Palance. And Jack Palance. You, you are my number one guy. He's so good. Jack, your life won't be worth spit. But rewatch re- levels. Uh, that's actually fine because I know how to hold the microphone re- and be a professional. Rewatching this, though, it's, it, you know, like the, the soundtrack, it's so, it, it feels like so canonical in a, in a weird way. That it almost oh, it's the definitive take on it. Almost, it almost feels like, are you okay? <coughs> Sorry, everybody. It's the definitive take on the Batman music. Yeah, and but it, no offense to Hans Zimmer, but his score is a lot less. It uh, makes interesting. It, and the re- the reason I'm saying that too is because like, wow, like this music is from this film. It, it just doesn't. It feels like it's almost like a, like a remake or a kind of like souped up version of film that of, of a score that's been around even longer yeah. because it sounds so like it was also used in the animated series. Not the same thing. I thought, but it's no, it is. It's, is it's, it the but same? It's, thought, it's it's it's, it's the Elfman. same themes and it has the same. Like yeah, they they sort of like took it and, and ran with it a little bit. Uh, There's a lot of the similar. It is yeah. yeah, but he he arranged it differently. Or no, it's it's a diff- it's it's not exactly the same, but you can hear it in so, that film. So we're kicking off our Batman 
season. Season by discussing Batman 1989. And I think the reason we decided also to do Batman 1989 rather than starting with the Adam West from 66 or 68 is because we were like, well, this is a good place to start because this iteration of Batman is kind of kicks off the modern superhero it's sort of formative to our uh yeah it kicks off the genre but it's also probably the first one that we really encountered it is yeah um and it has a darkness to it and this film also obviously like has one foot a little bit in like a campy world and we'll talk about it 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 rides that line perfectly yeah Yeah. um just real quick we didn't say this in the last episode but um Batman as a character first came around in 1939 in Detective yeah. Comics 27. Um, he was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Bob Kane, uh, who served as a consultant on 1989 Batman, um, uh, probably more closely—I cl- hope he did okay—closely associated with the character than Bill Finger. Bill, Bob Kane is the is is always acknowledged as the yeah. creator of Batman. Um, George, what Liam. do you think of this film? I. W- so it's been a very long time since yeah. I've seen this film. Me, probably five years. I do remember 10-year-old George probably saw this film at least a dozen times. I had it on VHS. Yeah, me too. And I... That, that black VHS Xbox. Oh my God, so VHS it. box. VHS box. VHS Xbox? I fucking loved it. It's I had great. such a good time watching this film again. Yeah. And I and I knew I was going to enjoy it mm-hmm. like because I, I had a lot of... I mean, I didn't necessarily know I was going to enjoy it, but... I just was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It was so much fun. These images in this movie are like burned into my brain. Um, like the when he when he descends on the two thieves. Yeah. When he's like, I want you to tell your friends about me. What are you? Yeah. I'm Batman. So it's good. so good. So good. Um, uh, just the the press offer. It's Gotham as a as a thing. The image of young Jack Napier killing yeah. his parents. Like, do you ever dance with the devil in the full moonlight? The that line. The moment you want to get let's get nuts is like it's just uh it, it's all like hugely influential on my psyche totally and i this, love it yeah this film i was uh, the other like I mean, there's so many good images too like burton and i'm not a big burton fan but oh really yeah i'm not oh. a fan at all really uh, yeah i think oh, he's, he's made some amazing I, movies he has but i really think also he's kind of like overrated he kind of reminds me of like of a um a second rate david lynch hot take yeah oh. He's made a They're lot completely, of... completely... Don't compare David Lynch and Tim Burton. He's made a lot of shitty movies. Yeah, well, fine. But he also made this. He made Ed Wood. Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Sleepy Hollow fucking slaps, dude. Never saw it. Never saw it. Dude, that movie slaps. Mm. It's incredible. Never saw Ichabod it. Crane as detective solving murders. Like, people that shit on that movie, I'm like, you're insane. No one makes movies like that anymore. I'll watch it tonight after I watch The Wild Pear Tree. Oh, my God. Uh, Sleepy Hollow's <laughs> great. He's a great filmmaker. You're a nut bar. The Nightmare Before Christmas. The Nightmare Before Christmas is great, Which yeah. Which he didn't direct, but he's all over that All movie. over that, yeah. Um, but... He, and I'll admit of late, but he, I think some of the films are better than they get attention for. He's just kind of turned into like a, a rainmaker, and he wants to yeah, make rain. Yeah. Uh, but these two films are definitely... This one and its sequel... Batman Returns. Are fucking amazing. Fucking amazing. Um, the first thing you notice, and we're not going to go through scene by scene, but a couple things I thought would be worth hitting on. Um, do you know who's first built in this movie? Uh, Jack Nicholson. Of course. You got to get on the mic Jack before Nichols, you start. Jack Nicholson. Teaching George how to podcast because I'm not going to be in podcast? the room. I'm not going to be in the room. Oh, oh a podcast. A podcast. Uh, Jack Nicholson's Call first bill. He got six million dollars for the movie. He w- wanted top billing. He wanted a piece of the merchandise. Yep. And the theory is he made something between sixty and ninety million dollars. I, I saw that movie. too. Fucking a ridiculous amount of money. Second build is Michael Keaton. Did you know I when did? the studio announced Michael Keaton, they got. 
like 5,000 letters from fans. I thought fans, it was 50,000. Something crazy like that. Being like, this isn't, this is a terrible choice, which I thought was interesting because toxic fandom has been around longer than the internet. And you know what you do, J.J. Abrams? You don't fucking listen to the fans. Well, no, no, that's not true. You don't. You listen. You can God listen to the fans. You just don't listen to the worst of the fans. We experienced Rise of Skywalker recently. That's all we're gonna say. Um, listen to our previous episode where we opening, say a little bit more about the, the op- Rise of Skywalker. The opening credits for this scene. I love them. I love them because some. I remember. I, I really. Can we? Oh, sorry. The opening credits are yeah amazing. Can we? Do you want to like do this and then talk about like the idea of like casting like the the performances like Keaton Nicholson? Or should we? Well, we can. Well, I just, I want to. We can do that in a second. I just want to get through this opening credits because mm. I think they're hugely. They're burned into my brain. They're amazing because half the time you're like, "Is this the Batcave? Yeah, are we in the Batcave? And we kind of are in the Batcave. We're also in the symbol. No, we're in Batman's mind. Well, but no, it's like so. It is. It's, it's great. A, it's so good. The text, the simple yellow on the like bluish blackish. It's just amazing, and it it speaks to how great the film is. Um, I totally forgot about the opening credits. Yeah, they're amazing. They're and amazing. with that score, which we've talked about uh, already a lot, um, is really amazing. Um, let's chat. Let's chat about the performances. Okay. So maybe can we start with Michael Keane? Because sure. he's such an inspired choice. He's a great choice. And the reason he's a great choice is because he's such a better Bruce Wayne than he is a Batman. He's gets better, if I recall, in Batman Returns as Batman. I've, he spends more of the film as Batman in Batman Returns. But he is a great Bruce Wayne amazing why do you like him as Bruce Wayne because he does capture that intensity and mm-hmm. the idea of like there's something seriously damaged and mm-hmm. really but dark about this person very um he, it's, it's subtle it's and subtle nuanced, unlike yeah. Jack Nicholson who's also amazing jo- obviously Jack Nicholson is amazing in this movie but he's, it's the best take on the Joker yeah. but I've he's, ever seen. he's at a 12 like from the get-go well he's what I love about him as as Napier is he's not he's just like he's a vain kind of lunatic i love the scene where she's like look you look good and he looks at her and he's like i didn't ask so like, good he's so good and then when he comes becomes the joker it's just like i just i imagine being on set because like so much of what he did in this film is improvised like you know the part when he goes ah and he like farts and runs out of the room yeah improvised like he just did crazy shit um, and i think he was wasn't he only on i also read this is on wikipedia that he was i think on set or he wanted three weeks three weeks and he also wanted everything to be filmed around like the Lakers Your schedule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, he. I don't think he really wanted to do the movie. I think he. But I. And I think this is what he's going to be remembered for. I mean, would I say it's my favorite Jack Nicholson performance? No, that's Chinatown. But I love or and uh, Cuckoo's Nest. He's really good in too. Um, Robin Williams was in talks for this part. A lot of people were brought Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, which would have been interesting, but much darker. Um, in terms of people in talks for Bruce Wayne, Mel Gibson. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so they were going for an anti-Semitic Batman. <laughs> they, wanted they wanted a Batman. They wanted? Um, Dennis Quaid. I heard Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan was, was attached. And Tim Burton was really like, no, I want Keaton. And the studio thought it would be interesting. And because they'd already worked together. I always assumed he brought him from Beetlejuice. Yeah. Which, which is also another so great good in, in Keaton, that movie. Uh, yeah. Burton movie, yeah, actually. You fuck off. Don't fuck. Yeah. Just, uh, I, take, I take everything back. No, I don't. Fuck. Okay, fine. Fuck Whatever. you, it's, Tim But it is, it is true to remember that there was a time when it didn't feel like Tim Burton made like a kid's movie every three years. Yeah, totally. Um, Robert Wool as Alexander Knox, the reporter he's good, he's good. I, there's something about his general energy i think the guy gets a bum rap but i also think he's annoying i th- well i think he leans into that yeah that's true um and, and kim, uh, kim basinger kim is vicky vale young liam felt stuff 
Uh, seven-year-old Liam felt Vale. things about yeah. young Vicky Vale. I think actually, I feel like it was probably just sexism. She got a lot of shit for this movie. She's really good in it. No, She's she like is. a perfect foil. She is, but watching this film now with a distance of 30 years, yeah. you do definitely see how... It, the, she's a damsel in distress. Yeah, no, no, that's true. But I also think that, like, similar to Jennifer Aniston, I think Kim Basin, which we talked about in our Philip Seymour Hoffman Along Came Polly episode, um, she's got better comic chops than people give her credit for. And uh, she's genuinely kind of weird. And she's, or she's something made, like, weird about the character. Choices. She's eccentric she's, and makes interesting cl- choices. And also, uh, she's a good actress. She's uh, a good I, I feel like she did LA Confidential and everyone was like, that was a surprise. And I was like, I wasn't surprised. That, that's she's, what she won the Oscar for, yeah, right? Yeah, she's incredible in that. She's really, really good in it. And this is only, I looked it up too, this is only yeah. three years after nine and a half weeks. That's okay. So to kind of think about, and because this is what I was trying to think about, and obviously Nicholson should have gotten top billing because yeah. he was, out of the, obviously the cast, he right. is the one that's the most established at this moment. Like, Keaton obviously has a number of films or, that he's already made at this point that have given him some kind of yeah, clout, totally. but he is like a relative, I mean, not to say unknown, but he's not fucking Jack Nicholson. He is not Jack Nicholson. He, he doesn't have that level of fame. This movie would catapult him to that level of fame, I would say. But I, the other thing that I would definitely say that it does is it um also it, it, it you see that reflected in in Birdman, which like yes. this is kind of a which is a meta commentary on this. Yeah, and uh, not a movie I think is very good to be honest. And totally disagree. Outside this, it's it's interesting how at the end of the decade that movie won Best Picture. No one's talking about it. Anymore. It's nowhere Ooh, I'm t- I'm, I'm near. I'm talking about it right now. It's nowhere near a list of like. Birdman. This was a great movie. Um, a couple other quick things. Billy D. Williams. Oh, what a waste! As Harvey Dent. It's the second movie I've seen recently that he's been wasted in. Um, <laughs> Michael Go as Alfred Pennyworth, who was a big Hammer actor, and Tim Burton loved him. Um, Jerry Hall. Jerry, Jerry Hall. Hall. Uh, Jack Palance as Carl Grissom. Yeah, we've talked about a, a couple of these. Um. So- I, Tim Burton wanted to turn uh, Billy D. Williams into Two Face eventually. Yes, and I think that maybe would have been the third. So they were in the process. Tim Burton was at least initially leaning franchise le- to 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 make a third one. And apparently, Michael Keane turned down something like twenty million dollars or, or fifteen million dollars. How much I think. money do you need? No, I know. I'm saying good for him though right. that he was like, I don't want to do a third film right. unless like I'm comfortable and working with Tim Burton. But I was also thinking like because there are quotes. Yeah, about Robert Downey Jr. There, 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 there are. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. Fucking Doctor Doolittle. There are quotes uh, about Tim Burton saying like I wanted to turn Billy D. Williams into like Two Face, and I think also at some point he explicitly talked about the fact that obviously, obviously, spoiler alert, like Billy D. Williams is an African American actor. Hang on, let me check my notes. Yeah. Beep 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 boop boop. But also, yeah, he is. Like, what a fucking amazing thing to do with yeah. that character yeah, to kind of make him as an allegory. Do you know like W E D Abu Du Bois is the concept of like double consciousness? Yes. Yeah. So to kind of like explore. Double consciousness. Well, the idea, obviously, they like to be an African American in American culture yes. is to be possessive, of, like the double consciousness, the ways in right. which obviously you are constantly told like you belong and obviously excluded from. And also pro- interesting when you compare him to his scene partners in most of this film, which is Lee Wallace, who plays the mayor and has is looks so Ed much Koch. like Ed Koch. It's totally. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and um, Pat Hingle as Commissioner Gordon, who I think um, my favorite thing about the entire Nolan take on 
Batman is Gary Oldman is yes. uh, he's Jim the Gordon. younger he's, he's incredible and he's he's the best thing about I I his performance in the Dark Knight is my favorite favorite performance in that entire movie. Um, but it would have been it's it's such a like ruined opportunity even though they do something interesting with Two Face later. Also, <laughs> Billy D. Williams is just so cool. He is. That, like, they'll be like, uh, uh, Mr. Dent, do you have any comment? He's like, no, I don't have any comment, yeah. dog. Like, <laughs> he's just so cool in this movie. He is cool. And he, but he's only on, he's like, um, he's only there for like a minute or two. He's not in the sequel, is he? Uh, no, he's not in the sequel. I think things changed. I think, um, yeah, I think maybe Burton saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I'm going to make the wackiest movie I can. Um, la- well, yeah, I th- the performances are really great. I think it's also such a exciting movie. Um in terms of the production design, which is the next yes, thing I want to talk yeah. about. There's like, there's an early shot of Batman looking down on these, these criminals and it's clearly animated. Oh, That's really so cool. But the production design in this movie is fucking amazing. They really lean into like the Gothic part of Gotham city. So they were supposed to shoot it in Burbank mm-hmm. and, um, the, this press scrutiny of the movie was so large that they moved it to Pinewood and it took up like 18 stages. It was like a huge production. But yeah, they basically the said they, there was a quote that I read on, on Wikipedia where the production designer who whose name I can't remember and, and I hope won an Oscar said that they wanted to make a New York City with no city planner. Huh. So the whole thing just feels like De- desecrated by crime and, yeah. and, and all these things. It, it looks amazing. Every set is incredible. Like it speaks kind of you know, one thing about this movie that is so interesting to me is it, you know, one thing that people give Nolan f- credit for is making a movie that deals with the sort of politics of Gotham City in an exciting way. Right. But I think this movie does that pretty well, too. Like, I mean, it's again, this is we should talk about what we think are like the central ideas of this movie. But I think that like. I like that Commissioner Gordon plays a major role. I like that the Bicentennial plays like a huge part in, yeah. in where the story is going. Well, there are interesting, obviously, with, with a franchise like this, with a character like Batman, there are always interesting class kind of dynamics and right. issues. So the ending with the like the fact that like the Joker is able to bring out like all these working class people with a promise of money is kind of interesting. And then gasses them. And then gasses them. That's kind of like interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kind of like this false savior. Right. I mean, obviously, generally speaking, the one thing that always kind of turns me off about Batman as a character is the fact that we are, again, kind of... Rooting for a millionaire who beats up poor people. A billionaire, yeah, exactly. Who beats up like poor, disenfranchised, mentally uh, troubled people. But this film doesn't do that as much. It doesn't lean into, I right. think, the billionaire politics of right. Bruce Wayne. Although there are those moments in, very, in the beginning before he like reveals himself as Bruce Wayne to Knox and to Vale. Because they're at the Japan. house. Yeah. yeah, He has a party. And obviously they're like walking around the house and they're totally taken by this amazing, amazing house. This was the house, by the way. Wasn't this the house that was also used in, or the castle that was used in fucking The Favorite? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. I think that's true. Um, it's been used for a lot of films. So I wanted to say, uh, I think that that's this is a good moment then to talk about Batman and Bruce Wayne in this movie, which I think. And then there's a couple of things I want to go back to. But this I, one's very Freudian. Uh, I think tell perhaps me more. more so. Well, again, thinking about, I think what's interesting also about this film is that it begins very early on in like Batman's career. Batman begins. Uh, uh, somebody there. Um, but that when the film begins. Batman's only been doing like the vigilante thing for like a month or so. There was eight sightings in two months is what Knox says. So that it's very like early on in him becoming like the superhero. Right. 
but it's also again interesting to think about him paralleled obviously with like the joker who also like this is pretty much a joker Joker origin story yeah um i think that's true i think that one thing that's very yeah exciting about this movie is that um is the Bruce Wayne is a real weirdo in this movie. Yes. And one thing that we'll, we'll talk about when we get further along, especially into the Nolan, is that I think you're supposed to, as an audience member, have a little bit of a remove from Bruce Wayne. You're, whereas with Christian Bale's, I feel like Christian Bale's uh, Bruce Wayne, you're never, I mean, because he's a stand-in for Christopher Nolan, I don't know that you're ever meant to kind of like question him. Mm-hmm. But in this film, I like how Bruce Wayne's kind of forgetful. Like there's a couple of times where he like goes in one direction to go to the back cave yeah. at least one point and, and uh, Alfred's, Alfred's like, like maybe that way, sir. Yeah. And he like goes the other way. Um, but I also, I also love that dinner scene where he has like Vicky Vale over their That's date. an amazing scene. And they're sitting across from this like ridiculously long table. Can you pass the salt? Yeah. And it's like such a great psych gag, but it's done so fucking like well. Well, yeah, it's like beautifully funny. And it also does a good job of, of it's one of the few Batman movies, including the Nolan films, where I feel the romantic connection in the oh, actual. See, I think they have decent chemistry in they, they that have chem- scene in particular. And they, have, they definitely have chemistry, like the actors do. Yeah. But I, it's funny you should say that because that was like one of the, rewatching this, I was like, oh, I forget how quickly their relationship evolves. And I get like why that it's bothers there. you. Yeah, because they go on one date, they, they, sleep, they sleep with each other. He kind of ghosts her, obviously, because he's Batman and he doesn't right. want to let anybody in his life. But it seemed like there's like this beautiful fucking like successful photographer and she's totally enamored with this guy after like one night. And it's just that part of it. I was like, oh, this relationship felt kind of cheap. And also because, again, I think it's yeah. like so heteronormative. And because, again, like you need the love interest to humanize the character. And yes. I, I get well, he's a big weirdo. I get why it's done. I right. totally get why it's done. And it, in terms of the narrative, it's successful. But rewatching it and again thinking about her as pretty much as like this damsel in distress, it's it just didn't the, that the the, the the have chemistry, but the relationship as the film narrates it didn't really work for me this time. Interesting. Um, I believe it. I buy it. I think part of that is Kim Basinger's performance. I think she's pretty she's good. Um, one thing that I think one of the reasons it works for me is because he's so weird and so distant and so removed from reality. Like this is a very different Batman because the Batman in the, in the later films, his trauma is so much more pervasive to the character. And he's so much more, at least to me, like Christopher Nolan's, or I should say Christian Bale's Batman, like pretends to be a drunk playboy there, you don't get any of that from this Bruce Wayne. He like in 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 the Christopher Nolan ones, he's, there seems like he's like full, like wants he kind of wants the attention of the paparazzi and he wants to kind of like be seen because it's it's a great way to contrast what he does right. what he does at night. Whereas like there's a scene in this film where Bruce Wayne just walks around the city of Gotham, that goes to a press conference. No one really knows what he looks like. Like yeah. when when Joker sees him initially, when Joker Joker sees him initially in Kim Basinger's apartment, he's. He like he's like Bruce yeah. Wayne Nespa yeah. like, and and then uh, Keaton says most of the time, most, which is such yeah, which a, great, is a great, great line, yeah. Because he's just kind of a shut down human being. Like again, to come back to this idea of what what is the performance, he's so much more oddly idiosyncratic as Bruce Wayne than he is as Batman. Like his Batman isn't bad, but it's actually a very mellow take it on is, Batman. Yeah. Um, well, he's 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 like 
an everyman in a way that like Bale I, is not. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he looks like an everyman. No, Michael Keaton I mean. is not the most like. He's not. You don't. Well, like, there's an intensity to him. Yeah. That, he, that doesn't. That not every man possesses. But I mean, in the sense that. Like Bale in those movies is like obviously like you know Bale is like way more conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. He's fucking. He is a babe. He's ripped in those movies. He's also been famous since he was like ten. Yeah. So there's a way in which he possesses like that version of that iteration of Batman. Again, like the Playboy stuff becomes way more apparent than it does with like this. He's one. also not. You never see Keaton like shirtless in this movie, which I think is interesting. Like you never see like oh, from the when back, he's, right? yeah, when, when he's, he's hanging, hanging upside yeah. down. But you never like look at that guy's biceps. Exactly. Like, yeah. I also think. That there wasn't the pressure to like you have to do a year of physical training now to, to play a superhero in a movie because they all ripped his shit and I, you don't see that as much here um and also like the action in this film whilst really good the fighting is good it's tame and it's also like more a product of the time when they're totally. like when like when the so for example when the when the bat bat plane crashes early like later in the film it's just three shots of it slowly coming down and hitting the ground whereas yeah. now it would be like there'd be a cut every second like i don't i'm not saying it doesn't work it actually like the kind of widescreen it take does on it, it works, works yeah. really really well it um, works because they're fucking like models yes. it's not cgi and it's beautiful it's, it's beautiful. beautiful and it's sad that we now have like i don't I'm not going to shit all over all superhero movies now, but like so many of these movies now are like CGI gobbledygook because oh it's God, cheaper than building sets and doing more interesting things with the camera that that's kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, he's just weird and idiosyncratic and forgetful. Like there's a scene, the scene when uh, Alfred calls him and he's like, Miss Vale is going to be 10 minutes late meeting you at the museum. He yeah. goes, oh, okay. And then he goes, wait, I'm not meeting her yeah, today. Yeah, I love that. It's great because like he's kind of constantly distracted and that's who the character is. And one thing that I think works so well about this movie, and I forgot about this, I don't know if you remember this, is that Batman, whilst popular, is not was not in the national consciousness in 1989 that he was he is now. So the choice to have his origin, meaning his parents get murdered, be revealed through to some extent Vicky Vale's eyes, where she she follows him go and he puts a rose at like a spot. Yeah, and then she has uh, her buddy Knox, the reporter, look into like the history of that specific corner, only to find out that his parents were murdered there, and then to see him. Uh, then he has a scene with the Joker, which I want to talk about. This scene where the Joker says, "Do you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight?" And that's what Jack Napier, young Jack Napier, said, said to young Bruce Wayne. So his parents' murder is revealed later in the film, which makes everything you see before a lot more interesting because you're like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's Batman and he's like a fascist that beats poor people up, but it makes for a more compelling take on the character. Like, I don't think I realized how kind of like smart that was for them to do that. The way they, yeah. Yeah. And also, Cause you mean like a conventional film would have obviously started with that at the very, very beginning. Yes. And well, that's what it. Dawn of Justice does. And Batman Begins does it in flashback, but it's pretty early in the film. Well, what's also really annoying about those later films too is that you've already seen that origin story. Like who the fuck is going to well, the movie theater not knowing I think what happened? I think it's pretty essential to Batman Begins and we can talk about why when sure. we get there. But it's not essential to Dawn of Justice, even though I think that sequence is one of the best things about that movie. Um, I also think it's worth noting that a, a big deviation from the comic book is that in the comic book, his parents are murdered by like a petty criminal named Joe Chill, which is what um, Batman begun, Begins does. In no iteration of the comic book is the Joker the murderer of Bruce Wayne's parents. So that's uh, something the film did. 
Yeah. And so I love the kind of like power. And Burton talks about this, the power struggle of you made me and I made you. Yeah. Well, that's also the Freudian thing too, right? Yeah. Where these characters, and that's what I wanted to say also about like the or the origin. Yeah. So the fact that, again, Batman's only been doing this for like a couple of months when the film begins. Mm -hmm. And the Joker also is like pretty much birthed at the same time because of Batman. Right. So the fact that they're like mirror images of one another is fascinating. And obviously the film plays on that too, especially at the end when the Joker says something like, oh, like I've taken off my mask and now it's time for you to take off yours. And the way in which, again, like another like Freudian thing about like the doubling, which this film does wonderfully well, is that, yeah, they're mirror versions of one another. They are. And I think that it works. And, you know, The Dark Knight, we'll touch on this a little bit, like, not in the exact same ways, but one of the best things, the best scene in, in The Dark Knight in some ways is the interrogation scene when uh, Heath Ledger's like, kill you? I don't want to kill you. Yeah. No, you complete me. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's a much more cerebral take on the character than this is, but this is pretty smart and pretty great. Um, I also like that the film touches on the idea, and you mentioned this before, of Batman and the Joker struggling for the soul of Gotham. Gotham. If there's a compliment I can pay this movie that directly contradicts the later Nolan films, which again, I think are great, is that it does a lot of the same things as the Nolan films without all the heavy. Oh, no, this film brooding, is fucking, yeah, brooding. hilarious Yeah, it's too. very funny. It's also a great comic book movie. Like there's a scene it early is. in the film where they go to, the Joker goes to raid, or uh, I should say Jack Napier before he's the Joker, goes to Access Chemicals to raid it. And it's, it's um he's been set up by his boss carl grissom because because, because uh joker or jack nicholson is having sex with his um with carl grissom paramore paramore and uh this corrupt detective named lieutenant eckhart who i love that there's a corrupt chubby detective they do that really <laughs> it's just a good thing that they 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 have in these batman it's like something out of touch of evil um yeah uh there's a scene early on in the film and there's nothing more i mean the production design like it you just watch the film we're not going to dwell on it too long but Tim Burton knows his film history. He's influenced by silence film, silent films and like, you know, uh, I would say film noir, German expressionism. It's all yeah, there. It's, it's all, all there. there. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's a film called Dark City that would come out oh, probably yeah. 10, 10 to 12 years after this, which is an amazing movie. And there's the movie doesn't exist without Tim Burton's Batman. But that's also like a really interesting film to think about in relation to The Matrix. It has a lot yes. of, yeah. And it's actually, it's an unsung great movie. It's a great movie. Um, but there is a moment where he, the uh, Jack Napier realizes he's screwed, and he just starts pushing buttons and pulling oh, handles, I love that, yeah. and like everything starts to explode and kaping kaping, and you don't question it, but and you're like, paper, this is the, a this great coming out of the comic book yeah. movie moment, you know? Like, it's just, it's yeah, it's great. Well, Nicholson knows what he's doing, and he leans into it in the best yes. fucking way. Yeah, he's amazing in this movie, and this film again like treads the line between. Like it has, but it has its feet in both worlds. It's right. campy in like the best possible ways, and it's dark in the best possible ways. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think there's something really great about. There's just there, it has set pieces. There's a scene at the Flugelheim. Do you know that yes, it's called the Flugelheim? I did. I saw the sign, which is the Gotham Museum of so Art, good. where he comes in with his goons and they destroy uh, all this artwork, and they're listening to Prince. The soundtrack by Prince is it's incredible. Amazing. And uh, the funkiest paint you've ever seen. But I love also that how they go to that Francis Bacon painting. Yeah, and he's uh, about to destroy meat it. on feather or yeah. something like that. And he's like, I no, like this I kind of like this. Yeah, leave it. So, what um, did you make of the destruction of the art 
and the art museum scene because this is one thing that I totally forgot with this film about like Joker uh, as an artist. Joker as an artist. I really love how this film uses art. I love how this film more than that uses media. I love how he introduces he interrupts news broadcasts. So his sort of central idea is that like he's an artist and but his art is a homicidal art. Yeah. Um, and he's kind of has a manifesto about it. Like, yeah, this it's ama- it's amazing because this film doesn't lean on it as hard as like the Joker making short films in The Dark Knight where he kills people. Um, in a weird way, like, and I like The Dark Knight a lot, but there's a when part of When are we going to get the version of the Joker when he's a podcaster? This, That's what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> we did. It's Emperor Palpatine yeah, I, in I Rise of Skywalker. I when you said that too. I was, you were like, we I have a podcast. You're like, Emperor Palpatine's a podcast. <laughs> the Dead Speaks, a new podcast hosted by Sith Lord, <laughs> Emperor, Emperor Palpatine. Palpatine. You know... I have I have trouble in my day finding time to brush my teeth, and that's why I use Quip. <laughs> Quip's easy remote access function. <laughs> Who would his uh, guest host be? This week we Maybe have Yoda. This week we have Kylo Ren. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. You suck, man. You're not my dad. Kylo, give in to fear and give in to savings when you buy from Quip. <laughs> So fucking good. Um, so I like that he interrupts news broadcasts. His his big central idea is he's poisoning people through the mixing of different chemical products, and yeah. um, which is also a thought. Like, oh wait, is this film making? Is this film actually like criticizing the like pharmaceutical industry? No, it's not at all. No, I think it's it, not. I think it might be. It's not. That's I think no, it it's be. not. That's like. What's also that, really? Ooh, oh, this movie has police in it. Maybe what? it's maybe it's anti-cop. Like, make it. You're not making no, a connection. It's, it's not anti-cop. Which no, is also but you're not. Though, you're is, not just because something is referenced in a movie and is central to the plot does not mean it's a critique of it. Well. No, but I mean, the, but the the whole point is that these chemicals are like literally killing people, right? But it's the because he's poisoned them. No, I no, I I get that. But I'm saying, is there like a potential with a read that scene is like, oh yes, like this industry in of itself is automatically, let's say, a poisonous kind of destructive industry. Have you shipped a million of these things? <laughs> yeah, ship, ship them all. all. Um, this one's also about 9/11, which is weird <laughs> because it came out in 1989. I'm just saying. Oh man, um, no. I, I mean, I guess it could be that. I I do think it does a nice job of uh, setting up a really distinct Joker character. I also totally. think a fair criticism of the and I think you've brought this up to me before and just in our in our non podcast chats that the lack of motivation to the Joker in the Dark Knight is problematic. Whereas the Joker's motivations in this movie is that he's fucking insane because it's the origin story. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um, and he mirror, give me a mirror. Mirror. So good. His laugh is amazing. So you good. see what I have to work yeah, with I have to here. Turns to the table. Yeah. Like, oh, that brutal. scene's wonderful. I mean, that's the thing. At the end of the day, I think that this movie is much more complicated and interesting than I than I remember it being. Yeah. Without any of the um, kind of heaviness of of the later entries in the. In the yeah. in the in the Batman canon, I think the destruction of the art is interesting too. Because Why do you think so? It speaks to this kind of like let's say, even though obviously the Joker kind of prides himself as an artist or he calls himself an artist, is that it seems to be like a rejection of bourgeois values and of like the sure. art, uh, the art museum as like an ep, you know epicenter of like bourgeois culture, right? And what's also fascinating too is about how all of these paintings like obviously do not exist within the same, and obviously they're. Yeah, they're not the real paintings. I get that, but all those paintings also are not in the same space. Like I believe, like one of the first things you see is like Rembrandt's The Anatomy Lesson, which I'm pretty sure is in Amsterdam. You do see that, yes, yeah. And then like that Thomas Gainsborough, the Blue Boy painting, is somewhere. Yes, I think is in London. Um, I don't know where that Francis Bacon is, but like the collision, it's like in the, the collection San Francisco of all of 
UNESCO um, Museum of Art or something like that. There you yeah, go. Yeah. yeah. So that all these like canonical works of art are there. And maybe you see like a Degas. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like some some statues of note. But it seems like it's a fascinating kind of critique of yes. bourgeois arts and like culture. Are you trying to set up Jack Nicholson's Joker as a folk hero? Like I, a, totally. Really? No, no, no. Not, not at all. But it, but I mean like. Poison and murder. Yeah. What, what can destroy bourgeois culture and also be bad? Do you think. No. Do you think uh, <laughs> um, the. The, the tact of the feeling at the end when he poisons all these people like because of the money is very tacked on like I, I feel like the huh. movie seems to be saying something about greed but like it's not all that interesting to me like it doesn't really go anywhere with that idea I mean I think by so that, that might point, be reactionary I, I do think that one thing that works less for me in this film are the action sequences they're not as exciting I mean the technology isn't there but like the parade is a lot more exciting than the than Batman fighting the goons the chase isn't as interesting um, but it does feel like when we get to the point where like all the money, like we've entered spectacle territory, like the movie kind of becomes a spectacle in its last yeah. 20 minutes. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought. So are you saying that like there's something again, like reactionary about the ending in the sense of like, oh, like these like poor working class schlubs can be easily duped and murdered because they're so desperate for money. I mean, that you could, well, you could also read it the a, other way. There's too. Not a, that's not a central idea of, at all of what the movie is doing. So, totally. to, so, so at the end, it, it, it you could potentially feel tacked on if that's at all the technique. But I also think that like at some point, this is still a superhero movie and it has to end. I do like that the movie isn't... I like so much that Batman films are only about Gotham. The like yes. larger implications are... Le- because you know I like Marvel films, but they're always about saving the world. And I like so much that this is like... Batman is truly about... Um, the soul of a city. Yeah, and I and I appreciate that about this. But yeah, I mean, it, maybe it feels tacked on. But I also think at that point in the film, we're just we're into the action. Yeah, totally. And how, how the fuck does Batman miss the Joker with, with shooting and with the, with, the, with the plane we, and the missiles? You know, I be, never understood be, that scene. It'd be interesting to do an episode uh, where we we look at the 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 Batman Joker set pieces in all these films because this Christopher Nolan definitely watched this and was like, how do I do something? equally cool and the trip the trick uh the sorry the truck flipping over in the dark night like there's a lot of just the idea of this long street and they sort of confront each other from afar but one thing that i think is really interesting about the this film um in terms of its ending is that i appreciate that the climax the climax of both this and the dark night take place in like sky like high up in the air and it becomes like a mano a mano kind of thing where batman fights off his goons and in this case yeah in that film it's like it's the construction of a, of a trump building i think actually there's a, like the building oh, really? that they shot it in was a trump building but oh. um but um this film i love that it's a it's a fucking cathedral and the, it takes place in the belfry it yes completely and also that's where you feel like the real gothic elements of the yes. character come out so like the gargoyle like what is batman he's like an actual like living gargoyle that i have bats in my belfry, in my belfry. Like come to life. Although I will say this also, by the time obviously he does away with all the goons, yeah. the one-on-one obviously with the Joker is like, like there's so mismatched. It just beats the shit out of yeah. him. It's over. It's so great. It's also Excuse interesting. Me. You yes. Dance with the Devil, devil in the Pale Moonlight? So he just punches just, him in the face. Just beats the shit out of him. It is interesting. Go back to the masculinity thing and think, I just thought about it again because of their confrontation at the yeah. end and how different they are in terms of like, body types and wide range yeah like it's interesting to think about because i'm sure also like the the bail 
Batman costume has like the fake abs. Yeah. But to think about like the fake abs. As, this costume as is all like, leather. Yeah. But also like it has the fake abs. Right. And I'm just thinking about like the presentation of that type of masculinity in relationship to like the bodies of the actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really have anything well thought out to say about it. But it's just thinking about, let's say like, again, like you have this costume. Right. Like even just like conceptually speaking of like, I'm going to make this costume. I'm, I'm Bruce Wayne. What do I need? Well, it's got to protect me, but I also need to put like a fake six pack. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got his symbol. Instead like, of it being like Kevlar, you know, like really, I don't know. It's just There's like, like fingerprints on the costume occasionally. Like one thing that's, this is a, le- it's a great movie, but it's a lot less sleek than the, the, the totally. Nolan films. And yeah. also Batman's a lot less militarized in this movie than he yes. is in the other films. Like he's a fucking like, mili- like a single human military in the other films. Like, uh, he's a. It feels a little more like a DIY project in this film, but also this film leans real hard on the grappling hook and those kind of tools and stuff like that. Well, it's funny because a lot of the action sequences are just like, look at Batman just fly up in the air on this grappling hook. You know, it's yeah. not like there's a lot back, of that. It, it's a actually back, a backflips and things like that. A lot of that. Well, and also I don't think they had that in. I mean, the fights are simple and clean and whatever. But um, real quick. Can we jump back and talk about the Let's do it. Keaton's monologue? Uh, you, ever, you know, I'm talking about my friend Jack. And then he ends with him being like, anybody, let, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Let, yeah. Let's talk about that scene because it's a very low key. You might, folks, you might hear a heater going off in a minute. Just a New York, beautiful New York City heaters. Um, it's a low key performance. It's an even more low key Batman. So when he kind of like, his emotions get in charge of him. And I think they happen. It happens at the end when he kills the Joker, but also he flies off the handle. In he this does. Scene. Um, so good. And it's so good. And what is, what are we to make of it? it watching it again. Um, it definitely, well, obviously it's performative. So the, also right before he confronts the Joker, Do you think it's performative. Is he trying to scare them? I think he well, just, because he, he puts the thing and he puts like, I'm saying like, he knows there's going to be a confrontation and I think right. he, he welcomes it. So he's in the bedroom they're at Vicky Vale's apartment. It's just Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale. The Joker knocks on the door. With his boombox henchman and... Um, yeah. Bob. Bob. Bruce Wayne walks into the bedroom and he could like hide right there. But he walks out. But in the bedroom also, he takes like a... Um, I don't know what the fuck to call it. Like a, some kind of like dish or something. something yeah. Yeah. That she has it's like a serving Julian. tray. And he puts, he, he puts it under his Clearly shirt. Clearly you know nothing of hosting. I do not. He puts it under his shirt and then he walks out to the living room to confront... Uh, the Joker and right. his minions. And this is where the Joker says, have you ever danced with them on the play of night? And then he shoots him. And obviously he doesn't kill him because he has like this serving tray. Yeah, armor. But then he leaves. The, this is right before he planned on telling her he was Batman. Yeah. So I remember thinking about this scene and like, oh, he planned it in such a way that he like knew he was going to get shot. But now we're watching it again. It seems like he's totally down to just like fight without any thought of like, oh, this is exactly what I have planned. Like I'm going to get shot. I'm gonna pretend I'm dead and I'm gonna sneak away. Uh, like I think it's a, like a like a real confrontation of like let's fucking do this. Like yeah. even me as Bruce Wayne, it's like where the mask yeah. kind of comes off. And like, I love it because Bruce- he's such a f- lunatic in that moment. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I also just think it's nice for Keaton to have that. It's also funny and like we're ignoring Keaton's comedic chops. I think of late, Keaton has done some amazing work. He's I don't like the film. He's great in Birdman. Um, he's great in Spotlight. Which I haven't a, seen it. Oh, dude, it's, it's good. People recently there's comedic pe- chops in that. No, but he no, but he's amazing in it. But I, when my point is more that like lately, I think he's been doing more dramatic stuff, and I I think 
like in the eighties, he was Mr. Mom. He like did all these big things. He just did some stuff was that was really funny. Yeah. He was Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh shit! I shouldn't. Have shouldn't have done it. It's like as bad as the time I said Candyman five times. Candyman, oh, Candyman, 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 Candyman. Oh no! Did you ever hear of? Is it Pig Lady? Pig Lady from Detroit. There's like a local, uh, like Detroit legend about the, like the Pig Lady. Same thing. If you say her name like a couple of times, she comes out. Interesting. True story. True story. True story. Um. But yeah, it's just nice to have a moment where he gets to fly off the handle and be silly and kind of goofy. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is a great movie. Let's briefly chat about the politics of the movie. What or your thoughts? Do it. Let's do it quick. Because uh, well, know. again, I don't think in a, as over, they're not. This film isn't as overtly, and I hate using that term because obviously every work of art to some degree bears with it a certain amount of politics i don't know how, about that but how, how does you want to define i don't politics. think the rise of skywalker as politics but i will say that again that, so my what i was rewatching this i get i was like is there any way to ever redeem a billionaire superhero and part of me thinks no there isn't um redeem in the eyes of who well just in the sense like the billionaire should never be the hero okay that's all I, I I can fucks with that. Yeah. So that the the again the, again the idea of like well we're watching this film in which we are our sympathies are completely completely on the side of the billionaire. Okay. And though Joker is so good in this movie that you could make a case for him as the character you want to have win at the end of the movie. Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Though Burton has gone on record to be like this movie is about two freaks fighting each other. So I don't think. Burton's sympathies are necessarily with Batman. I think probably his sympathies are with the IP. <laughs> like, and that he's like, Batman has to win. That's what happens at the end of these movies. Yeah, but do you feel like he leans, like there's not enough of him leaning into sure. Batman being like a creep. No, that's true. But I mean, I, it's kind of written on the wall. He's a creep. It's obvious. Yeah. I mean, that that one scene in the apartment is interesting because he does like, I mean, it's like Vicky Vale's talking and he, put, he throws her like down. Like yeah, he, he pushes, pushes her down, her down and, tells and he's her to like, shut up. tells her to shut up and that's Yeesh. like a scene where you're like, whoa. And it's it's very well handled by Keaton because you do have to sympathize. He's the main character and like, but it is it is a moment. You're like, okay. Yeah. Not like a, ooh, ooh, why did they do that in the movie? But ooh, what does this tell us about Bruce Wayne? But the uh, the anti-hero aspects of, of this version aren't as powerful, I think, as the Nolan And even to some extent, the... Is. Schneider. Huh? <gasps> Schneider, Schneider. There is that Schneider. one really funny Schneider line. If you say Schneider six or seven <laughs> times, you have to watch the Schneider yeah. he, cut. He appears and he ruins your franchise. The one thing that is interesting about, there's that great line though in the, in the is it in Justice League? I forget which fucking one it is, but where he's, the Flash is like, oh, what's your superpower? And Batman's like, oh, I'm rich. Yeah. And that that's a great moment too because the politics, uh, the politics. As such as they are. Become very present. Yes. Oh, oh my God. George is crying because he loves rich people so much. I don't know if you guys know this about, but I'll take the time that George can't really talk to just talk about how George's sympathies are largely with the billionaire class. He He's excited to vote for Bloomberg. He was really disappointed when Howard Schultz dropped out of the race. And I think his biggest criticism was probably leveled towards Bernie Sanders. Or Let's be Elizabeth honest. Warren. The real class war is against billionaires. Like they are the victims. Yeah, that's, I'm going to post a little clip of that tomorrow. On oh, the God, internet. I'm dying. Okay. You okay? You I'm dying. No, I'm good. Um, so the so the, again going back to like the moments of like the Joker's artist or also thinking about like his relationship to chemicals yeah that's where I also thought like oh their potential for this film 
saying interesting things about those yeah. aspects of our society as well. Also, like the, again, like the cosmetics is like a drive for beauty. Mm-hmm. So there's like an, a kind of a critique I think there of like we're literally like killing ourselves with these products that yeah. we're using to make ourselves more beautiful. Like it's it's not a coincidence that, and this is also maybe potentially like misogynistic. That a lot of the victims in the film are women. Are women, yeah, and also models. Remember, like two of the first victims of the, like, uh, models, the chemicals yeah. are models. I think that there's. I I don't know if I go say as far as say it's misogynist, but I, I see your point. I do think there's something a little sexist in the portrayal of Vicky Vale, and that she's always screaming totally. as a damsel in distress. But um, uh, I will say that something that softens the potential politics of the movie are it's cartoony. I mean, it's a movie to be taken serious, but it's also production design feeling feels like a comic book yeah so whereas nolan's uh, cr- creates a film that takes place very much in the real world and the problem with that is that when you do something that's not let's not say realistic but it exists in a world that we can i mean the bat the gotham in this film is production design the gotham in uh the nolan, the nolan films is philadelphia uh chicago and uh, not philadelphia i'm sorry pittsburgh pittsburgh chicago and um those two cities. I mean, that's a huge part. Of it. And New York. Point. The third one is New York, which yeah. is interesting because the third one has more to do with like the epicenters of finance and stuff like that. It's interesting how it's three different cities and New York is the perfect. My thoughts on the film aside, New York is the perfect film for that, for that kind of take on it. So, you know, you have to deal with the ramifications of that, whereas it's, it's kind of easier to get away with a lot in this kind of production designy. Yeah, no, totally. Take on the character. I will say this. though: one thing that always annoyed me about superhero movies and still does is how, I remember being young and reading comic books and like the superheroes like secret identity was supposed to be so fucking important to them. Yeah. And the idea that like that part of the films is done so haphazard. Like like everybody's just like constantly telling one another like who they are. Yeah. So like Alfred himself like narcs on Bruce Wayne where he yeah. just like lets Vicky Vale I love in. Alfred in this movie. <clears throat> he's great. He's so good. He's got like seven lines in the entire film but he's like such a presence. Yeah. That also happens in the second one too, by the way. Sorry, where he just like reveals his identity in front of Selena, like, and but it's good. Christopher Walken. No, no, I mean it's done well. I'm not saying it's not done well. Stop it, saying it, it's done badly. And it's done for a reason. But I'm saying is one thing. Like I remember like being a young fan and being like, no, like the the, the secret identity is so young important. Fan, you did it earlier. Today. You, you were like, no, you can't fucking really yeah. get to it. No. Um. All that aside, great movie. Um. Very, very idiosyncratic take on Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That I really like about the film. Yep. I think Keaton really finds something. Like, he's a damaged dude who's really repressed, and I think that that's great. And yeah, I think it's very Freudian. It's very Freudian. Missing um, Dad. This is a great fucking movie. Agreed. Oh, one thing I wanted to say really quickly, quickly. Um, is that the film opens with Batman taking down two guys who rob a family. And I love how the film opens with what you think might be Batman's origin yes. story. I love that they directly reference it and then it doesn't. And then that's not, it's just a nice little, well, because touch. it's also like a, again, not to lean in on the Freudianism, but it's like a replaying of the, of the primal scene of trauma. Yes. So it's a moment in which, which obviously the film doesn't do explicitly, but he is able to kind of like get revenge on that scene. And obviously he does it again at the very end where he actually finds like the person who murdered his, his parents. Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's a great setup in terms of going where the rest of the film goes. And um, yeah, it's great. It's a great movie. I, I really like it. Watch it if you have not watched watch it. Watch if you have not watched it. And um, just real quick, 
folks going to the post office. <laughs> I lost my Palpatine. That's why I use stamps.com. Um, Liam Billingham. I'm just forgotless. And this was... Oeuvre. Bastards. <laughs> JJ, let's do it again. <laughs>